Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right. So if you have a Bible, just turn to Acts 4. We'll get there in a second. Um, but uh, yeah, so welcome. Uh, hopefully you can dive in with us and uh, it'll be a good morning. Uh, one of the best sources for uh, helping us develop a vision for who we are or what we're called to do is the book of Acts. And we're going to continue to look at uh, that book today to help shape our hearts and our minds to God's vision for our lives, both individually and corporately, as God's people. And uh, Burton last week gave a great message. Uh, he was in Acts 2 and 3. We see Jesus' disciples saying and doing the same things that Jesus did. And in the name of Jesus, Peter and John here heal a middle-aged lame man who could not walk his entire life. And the whole town is stirred, and the Jewish religious elite step up to silence these men. And we're going to dive into the middle of that story and see what God has for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time that we get to come and be before your word. Pray that your word would not return void, but would accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Lord Jesus, speak to us here this morning. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us. We're all in different places with you, God. But Lord, this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak deeply to us and, and to our lives and help shape our imagination, Lord, for our present and our future in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to dive right in. Let's turn to Acts 4. Uh, we're going to overlap just a little bit from last week, but uh, we're going to pull out something a little different. So Acts 4, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, as they were speaking to the people, this is uh, Peter and John, uh, the apostles, disciples of Jesus, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, for the Sadducees, there was two major uh, religious elite in a Jewish culture. They were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were people who believed that there was a resurrection of the dead, that, they, that God was going to judge and bring uh, all of God's creation back to him. Uh, but the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And the old preacher's joke is, they are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the afterlife. So, so you know, somebody... Just kidding. Seeing if you're awake. The old preacher joke coming in handy. All right. Uh, Acts 4, verse 3. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and a number of the men came to about 5,000, not including women and children. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. So the religious elite get in together and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Verse eight, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Jesus has become the cornerstone. Jesus was rejected and became the cornerstone. Couple takeaways. Number one, humans empowered or animated by the Holy Spirit do the work of God. Humans empowered by the Holy Spirit do the work of God. You can see this throughout the New Testament. You can see this throughout church history is that humans empowered by the Holy Spirit do the work of God. And second, rejection plays a significant role in God's kingdom process. Rejection. Jesus was rejected first, but he became the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the stone by which you build all buildings. It is the first thing you lay and out of which you build the entire building. Both in uh, being plumb and set. And uh, for the true authentic believer, followers of Jesus, the fear of rejection cannot rule you. The fear of rejection cannot rule you, for it is a vital part of God's process in your life. It helps to disconnect and free our soul from the world, and it leads you into a life of freedom and authority that Jesus came to give you. In my own life, when God first kind of rescued me and brought me out of my religious hypocrisy and religious pride, growing up in church, kind of assuming that I believed in Jesus, but yet I could kind of live however I wanted to. and That's not the gospel. And so it was in college that um, I give my life to the Lord and... uh, and about a year in, um, I had became, uh, just a quick story, president of my fraternity, and all the presidents of all the Greek houses, sorority and fraternities, formed their kind of president's club. And I was kind of the president of the president's club, if you could say. And uh, Jesus, one night, asked me, he goes, I want you to use your influence to start a Bible study. So I was like, okay, okay, uh, not sure about that. Uh, I had a good friend of mine who was radical for Jesus, total evangelist, loved talking to people, no concern, no fear, no hesitation, and me, (laughs) completely opposite, hesitant, afraid. Uh, My father trained me in the fear of man, uh, trained me to not overly offend, not, you know, don't say anything that would make anybody feel uncomfortable, Uh, trained like that for 19 years. And then Jesus asked me to do this. And so I was just like, all right, Lord, it's, it's, this is your life now. And uh, so I came up with a little script, and I went to every fraternity and sorority house at the University of Kansas. There's more than 40. And uh, invited them, personally invited them in front of their dining hall. They, they stopped dinner. All the houses, they would ring their little be- uh, cup, and the whole crowd of 80 or 90 people would stop, and they'd all look at you, and you're here inviting them to a brand new Bible study 
this is going to be awesome, everybody. So uh, I go through that, spend a month going through all the houses, inviting, big launch date. We get up there. I get up there, set up. I had transparencies. This was the old school. Do you remember transparency? I didn't even have a PowerPoint, bro. I had transparencies all set up with scriptures written out. Man, I was set. I mean, I had a good hour and a half Bible study, y'all. <laughs> That's a little too long. Anyway, so uh, I was ready, and the only two people that showed up were the two guys discipling me. That was it. Invited over a 1,000 people to come to this little Bible study. All my personal friends, hey, would you come? Yeah, bro, I'm there. I'm there. No problem. Hey, I'm there. I'm there. And then I'm sitting here in this room, and it is completely empty other than the two dudes I knew that were sitting in the back <laughs> of an empty room. And uh, the Lord was like, dude, I needed, it didn't matter about the fruit. This thing was for you. I needed you to go through these houses and systematically tear down the fear of man in your life for you. This whole exercise was for you. I'm like, whoa, all right. I want to learn as much as I can. But that was the first time in my life where I began to see that the kingdom provides relationships that go much deeper than any other relationships that the world could provide even though they kind of like, oh man, those guys will be in your life the rest of your life. I don't talk to one of them. The pipe dream. But it helped me see that rejection helps me cling to him, learn from him, be used by him. That which was rejected became the cornerstone. The entire building is calibrated off the cornerstone, both level and square. Every human life needs to be calibrated to the cornerstone. Every human life, their health, their well-being, and their soul depend upon it. Communities and cultures, communities and cultures need to be built on the calibration from the cornerstone. Jesus asked us to make disciples of nations. Our first conviction is that for every nation, the chief cornerstone to every nation on the planet is Jesus Christ. The fear of rejection keeps God's people quiet, and worse, it allows it to erode their belief in God's design and way. Case in point, for so many years, the world has told the church that because of your position on homosexuality, you are hateful towards gays. Sorry, that's not the case. God does have a clear position on homosexuality, but it has nothing to do with hate. It has everything to do with our rebellion against God and his way, and the church has become quite silent, beaten down by the fear of rejection, the fear of being considered hateful, judgmental, cruel. And that cudgel of our culture assisted by the miracle of social media, begins to start impacting us. And in our hearts, it's like, I get it. We don't, we don't want needless conflict from the world. And so, yes, I think the church has tremendously been wrong in their treatment of homosexual people, but yet 
in our kind of wrestling through this over the past 30 years, it seems as if because we're not standing on the word of truth, that we're afraid of offending people, our theology begins to change to fit culture so that we're not interpreted as mean-spirited. And let me tell you, I've walked with a lot of people of a lot of different variations. But because the church has been silent for the past 30 years on this issue, because we're afraid to be considered mean-spirited or judged, the sexuality of human practice has tremendously grown. And so at what point does the church stand up and say, y'all, this is not God's way? I mean, does it have to go all the way to where our culture completely embraces pedophilia, to where it'd be like, yo, yo, wait, time out, we need to protect the kids? Well, I don't know if you've ever seen, but if you're out in the culture, our children are systematically being groomed already, grade school, to be sexualized. Talks of transition happening in grade school. And the whole epidemic, I don't, a great book to read if you haven't read it, is Irreversible Damage, talking about the transgender craze in teenage girls. And you know, if you know anything about young teenage girls between 12, 11, 10 now maybe, and 14, the sense of who am I is just right on the front of their imagination. Who am I? I don't understand. My body's going through all these changes. These hormones are flushing through me. I don't know who I am. And ear swoops this ideology that says, man, you can define yourself however you want. And these girls are taking tra transition medicine in groups, not to become lesbian, not to become gay, but just because they don't like the body that they're in, and so they go into this like limbo place. It's not a sexual preference. It is, I feel uncomfortable with myself. Thousands of girls right now are transitioning. And once they transition, it's really hard to transition back and still be able to have a family. And yet our culture, go, go, woo, this is awesome. We're so proud of you. I'm telling you guys, with a heart of love, that this is not God's way. And the more we compromise, and I feel this daily, the more we compromise to say, man, this is not God's design. God did not design us, culture, this way. And so we have this, this place where we just have to feel like, okay, God, let me lead with love. Let me lead with your life. But God, when it comes to the place where I'm in a meaningful conversation with people, God, let me not bow. Let me not break. Let me reveal the gloriousness of your cross, that all of us are sinful. All of us are broken. All of us need a Savior. And here's Peter in verse 12 and says, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is nobody who can save you but Jesus. And there's nobody who can keep you from being saved but you. Salvation from our rebellion against God in Jesus alone. So we, human beings empowered by the Spirit of God do the work of God. Rejection plays a huge role in our development 
as kingdom people to disconnect from the world and say, man, I am Jesus's and Jesus's alone. And lastly, the preeminence of Jesus, surpassing all others, is the foundation to all reality. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through him. Jesus is the foundation to all reality. And we have narratives now trying to create a different reality. It's a lie. All right, here we go. Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that, hey, they had been with Jesus. Man, they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. You ever have anybody in your life that they've got a personality and a dynamic about them? That almost whatever they do, people love what they do. Uh, certain personalities, people just gravitate towards. But, but he, and, so, and so I know that a guy that's like that, if, if he has some friends and his dynamic personality, honestly, it rubs off on the people that are around him. And so that I may meet his friend and you're like, man, you kind of remind me a lot like Josh. You know, like, man, that weird personality. Man, you're like, oh, you know him. Oh, yeah, your friend. Okay, dude, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. That's what these guys, man, Jesus, they were around him. We heard what he did. We, we saw what he did. And these men are doing the exact same thing. These guys were with Jesus. And I pray that that would be a hallmark of everyone here in this room, that they were with Jesus. Man, I know them, and I know that they are close to the Lord. Verse, seven, verse 14 says, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition, meaning the power of God was just demonstrated. What can you say? But when they had commanded... But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Meaning, this 40-year-old lame guy, everyone knew. And now he's walking around in their midst. It was mind-boggling. So everyone in the town knew. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, here's these religious elite, let us warn them, to speak no more to anyone in his name. All right, so we're going to kind of, kind of look over what just happened. That, just re that didn't really happen. <laughs> that didn't really happen. Let's pretend that really didn't happen, and let's just kind of keep going forward. So if you could stop telling people about Jesus, because it kind of throws off our narrative a little bit. But if we just sit here in this verse, just for one second, the religious, the Israelites' elites, we're determining what the acceptable narrative was for the people and demanded that all other narratives be shut down. And like I say, I feel this pressure today. If the gospel of King Jesus calls us to preach repentance of sin and there is a governmental mandate against calling things sin we have a problem. The church is the prophetic voice 
of God to any culture that that church is in. Ooh. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Mm. I don't know if you knew, but there are over 100 million, 100 million plus Christians being persecuted, tortured, and imprisoned right now. Christianity is the number one persecuted religion in the world. There's a documentary, which it's free, uh, I advise you, uh, maybe on YouTube. It's called Sheep Among Wolves, and it's what God's doing in Iran. The Iranian church is exploding faster than any other church in, in the entire world. They don't build churches. They make disciples. They're, they're not trying to meet on Sundays. It is, we're trying to obey what Jesus asked, actually asked us to do, which is make disciples. The church is exploding. If you, want, if you want to see your faith grow, watch Sheep Among Wolves. Great documentary about what God's doing in Iran. And then he says, verse 20, it says, For we cannot, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. You can tell us, elites, what you want us to do, but we do not serve you. We serve the king of kings. We serve Jesus. And that's who we obey. Verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For they were all praising God for what had happened. So Peter and John went back to their friends and told them what had happened. And then they prayed. This is the first recorded prayer of the first church here in Acts 4. We don't have, a we have Jesus' prayer we have a few teachings on prayer from Jesus, but this is really the first recorded, written prayer of the first church, and I want all of us to hear it. But just to kind of catch us up, it says, when they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? This is quoting Psalm 2. And why the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. If you haven't, if you don't know much about church history, that's the standard. That's the standard, is that people who hate God love power, and they tend to, they tend to actually be in those seats of power because it's corrupting in, 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 a, in, in a sense. And the kings of the earth set themselves the rulers against God and his anointed, against God and his ways. We can't have worship. We can't have prayer. We can't have family because that's too much influence. So we need to break up that family, throw in our influence, so that we can actually raise the next generation. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against, the holy servant, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod. Now think about the audience here. 
he's talking about all their current authorities over them. It says, um, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to speak, continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Man, when they prayed that prayer, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And as I read through that prayer, I'm just like, God, may that be our prayer for this generation. So God, take note of their threats. Men and women fully committed to God and his kingdom, not bowing to the fear of man or their fear of rejection to declare with our lives and our words and through our relationships and the love and the service that we lead with the greatness of Jesus. That Jesus' gospel is a better story than the world could ever provide. That Jesus brings us out of bitterness and cynicism and into life and joy Principalities and powers rage against God and his image bearers. And that's the thing that, that's one of the first things that I figured out is once I started serving Jesus, even though you may have maybe grown up in church and man, if you start serving Jesus, all your life will become nice and easy. It's like, man, for me, the veil was relifted and I realized I was actually in a battle for the first time when I first started serving Jesus. And it was like, man, this isn't easy. This is actually a battle, a spiritual battle that I've woken up to that I was in since I was born. But I didn't realize was swirling around me for the allegiance of my heart. But now, hopefully your heart is in line with the king that made you. Father, not father. Last point. Number one, know what you've seen and heard. Beautiful interweaving of the Holy Spirit with our worship already this morning of, of looking back and seeing the faithfulness of God. Know what you've seen and heard. Know what God has done in your life. Man, when I first started serving Jesus, I had to process a little bit to actually go back and see through the colander of my imagination how God was leading me into his heart. And I didn't see all the, man, that key relationship at that one point in middle school. And man, those couple dude relationships that I had in high school. And man, God was along there all along. Know what you've seen and heard. If you have a story, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, your story should be fresh. Man, this is what God has done. It may be familiar to you, and it may seem like, oh, that's just old hat. It's not a big deal. But to a person who's never experienced the power and presence of God, that story could be a lifeline to them in coming to know the King of Kings. Know your story. Know his word. The power of God's word to change and transforms our lives. Man, when people, when I tell people my story, it's like boom. But man, when you open up the word of God and share a scripture or a parable or a story of like, man, check out Jesus' words here, man. This impacted me. I think it's going to impact you. 
man, know the word. It can change lives. It can transcend. It doesn't return void. God has a promise in this Bible that when you send it out, it doesn't return void. What does that mean? It's like, man, when I speak God's word into someone else's life, I know that's not going to be a fruitless endeavor at any time. It's going to return. And I don't know how many friends I've had where I felt a, a, little, a little nudging to say something, and I say something, and they may not react the way. Now, again, I'm not, Mr., I'm not brother abrasive all the time. And so, you know, a little more tact, a little more diplomacy. How am I going to say this truth to them? Because I want to say the truth in love. Amen. So uh, how, how many times did I say, and I, they didn't react, but then a week later, a month later, two years later, they get back and say, dude, what you said, there was some heat on that. I don't know what it was, but I couldn't sleep for the next few nights. Man, when you said that, when you brought me, man, thanks so much for actually trying to encourage me back then. Now I see. And our job is to just scatter seed. Just scatter seed. Connect, know him, know his word, and just sow seed and have fun. Use God's design of your life to sow seed of God's gospel. Second, step outside yourself. Fear keeps our eyes on ourselves, but when you see the fruit of the gospel impact the lives around you, Lastly, rely on his strength for wisdom and boldness. Rely on his strength for wisdom and boldness. Now, I can try to like, man, I want to please God, and I just want to stir myself up. Okay, come on, everybody, let's stir. And he's just like, bro, just you come off different when you're trying to stir it up on yourself. But if you just relax and just, God, I just want to be used by you today, it's amazing the opportunities that you can just naturally just slide into to risk and to be outside yourself and to capitalize on the opportunity God provides. Um, short little testimony that I just heard right before service that I just thought I'd share. And then we're going to actually pray this prayer, just kind of that last portion together before we go out. So uh, Rachel, I just want you to come up. Rachel's got a cool little testimony of what God kind of exploded uh, in her life as of late. So, Rach? Hello, everyone. Um, so, a few months ago, there was a young lady in my Bible study. She's about 21. She invited me to a murder mystery party with her and all of her friends. Um, so, I was the oldest one there by like 10 years. It was great. Um, so, when she introduced me to all of her friends, she was just like, hey, this is Rachel, my Jesus friend. And I'm like, Quite an introduction there. All right, well, okay. Um, and in that party, we had four people who were transgender. One of them was heavily into witchcraft, another one into paganry. Um, her cousin, who was incredibly into witchcraft, um, another one of her friends who was bisexual, and then the, another friend who was just very hesitant of God in general. And so when I got introduced as um, Jesus' friend, <laughs> You could feel the atmosphere change, and everyone became very tense. And several of them actually told me, why are you here? You shouldn't be here. And I'm like, well, I'm here because my friend invited me, and I'm, I want her to have a good time. 
So the night progressed, and then in the morning, her cousin looked at me and said, so you love Jesus? I'm like, yes. Well, my sister loves Jesus, and I hate my sister. All right. (laughs) So let's talk about it. Why do you hate your sister? What's going on there? And she's like, well, my sister will pray about all the things I've ever done wrong out loud to everyone around me. I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. She's like, also, she'll post on Facebook everything she does that's super religious. I'm like, well, that that also doesn't sound very much like Jesus. She's like, also, she's horribly mean to my dad. I'm like, all right. Well, what God does your sister serve? She's very confused. She's like, the God of your Bible? I was like, no, no, no. Your sister serves the God of public image. Do you have any other point of reference for a Christian in your life? She's like, well, my mom. Well, what does your mom do? Well, she reads her Bible. She goes to church. I'm like, does she love you? I'm like, yeah, a lot. She wishes that I would come to church with her, but she knows that she can't force me. I was like, hey, that's a good reference right there. That's what Christ is more like. And she's like, oh, well, my sister says that I'm doing idolatry because of witchcraft. I was like, well, I think witchcraft is worse than idolatry. It's actually a lot worse. And she's like, oh, I was like, there are powers that be that you don't understand that are going to harm you. She's like, oh. So the weekend wrapped up, and that was about the end of our conversation. And yesterday, my friend came to Bible study. So wait, how, how long was that ago? Sorry. Several interrupt. months. Several months. Several months. Okay. Um, and so my friend came to Bible study yesterday, and we were reading 1 Thessalonians 3, and it was right where, you know, the portion comes where Timothy brings a good report to Paul. Mm-hmm. And she cut us off right before getting to that passage. She was like, my cousin wants to do a Bible study. She wants to know the God that you're serving and not the God that her sister's serving. And I was like, your sister wants to do a Bible, your cousin wants to do a Bible study. She's like, yes, she wants you to be there. I'm like, yes and amen. Come on, <laughs> come on. So that just happened yesterday. Praise God. So let's be believing for that cousin. And uh, really all whose heart is just hungry for God, what is this? Where did I come from? What is this life all about? What is meaning? Is there meaning? Is, there, is it just about my pursuit of happiness? Is, is that the idol that we are trained to chase? I think God is not only just waking us up, but he's preparing his church so that as we lean into him, as we grow up in can raise the next generation in him. And so it's like, man, if I'm just new in the faith and I'm just an infant or if I'm just a child, just still kind of self-centered and it's just about me, or if you've kind of grown into a young adult where that kind of lens turns off of you and onto others, like, man, I'm here to serve other people, pray that God's spirit would just anchor himself in us and that we would be his people in this generation. And it's a little little sobering, but I think it's probably the very thing that our heart has been aching for the entire time, is us to be known by God, to know God, and to be used mightily in this generation. Amen? Amen. Let's just stand up and pray. Um, let's all kind of stand up together. Um, 
let you look over this kind of last verse here, Acts 4, 29 and 30. And uh, just with all of our heart, I'm not going to do the normal start and then come on everybody, let's give it all some faith and we restart again. Let's not do that, all right? Let's just, uh, just before the Lord, let's just pray this, that we would be caught up in his grand kingdom adventure in this generation, that we would not get distracted by the ways of the world or the opinions of the world or the pressure of the world to conform to the world, but to conform to Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray this together. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord God, I just pray, Lord, that you would capture our heart, that we wouldn't bow to the fear of rejection or the fear of man or just the fear of being isolated. Lord, we feel that tension often. But Lord, I pray that you would put uh, steel in our vertebrae. God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And that God, even this week, God, you'd open up opportunities for us to be your image bearers to others that don't know you. They, they may have known Christians and they hate them, but Lord, they don't know you. Uh, and so Lord, I pray that you would put us in situations where we can shine brightly for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.